Okay. Well, good morning, church. How's it going? It's great to be back with you. So uh, when I was growing up as a kid, I feel like a stand-up comedian with this in my hand. I feel like I ought to have like a really good joke, you know, like just to get started, like, so everybody, hey. <laughs> That's just so weird. Like normally I don't preach with a microphone, so. Um, okay, back on track. That was an ADD moment right there. So growing up, my, uh, my sister had severe allergies, okay? Some of you may, may have severe allergies or know of a family member that has severe allergies. And uh, she, I remember going to the doctor. Uh, we knew something was going on, and we found out, like, that she was allergic to 110 things, right? Uh, they took her back, and they, they, they numbered her back, like, from 1 to 8,000 or something. And, and then they put, like, little dots of different things on her back to see if it got red and if it did then that meant like that she was allergic to that and couldn't eat that or had to stay away from it and one of the things that she was most allergic to one of the things that she um, really had to watch out for most was corn syrup corn syrup now I don't know if you have read the labels on any of the packaging Corn syrup is like in every product that you eat. And so we had to be really super careful about, you know, like where corn syrup was in our house and, and, and the products that we ate. And, and for whatever reason, like the thing that I remember most was that we couldn't have Cheetos puffs. Yeah, you guys feel bad for me. We couldn't have Cheetos puffs. Like no more Cheetos in our house. It was, it was awful. But, but I'll tell you what, like we, we restricted ourselves. We, we freely did so. We voluntarily gave up something. We surrendered something. We sacrificed Cheetos because Jenny was in the family. We thought, hey, it's okay because Jenny is in the family. We would give that up so that she could thrive, so that she didn't get ill, so she didn't end up in the hospital. I know that in my son's school right now, that they're all in these classrooms, and, and if there happens to be someone in the class that has like a nut allergy, the whole class voluntarily says, hey, we'll restrict this, we'll sacrifice that so that someone else doesn't fall, so that they don't crash, so that they don't end up in a doctor's office or out of school. Now, maybe you've had someone in your own house that they're like on a diet. Or, or maybe, uh, maybe it is that they've gone to the doctor and the doctor has told them, hey, you have high blood pressure. You can't eat salt. No more salt for you. No more bacon for you. No more of the fried food for you. Don't eat it anymore. You need to lose some weight. You need to, to drop your, your, your whatever is going on in your body. I'll let the doctors figure that out. But, but you can't eat these foods, right? Have you ever been there? And someone in your house, and you, you can eat it. But do you, do you take out like, you know, you're eating some corn on the cob or something, and do you take out that salt shaker and be like, hey, guess what? You can't have any of this. 
Or, or do you get up like early in the morning and, and, and you just start frying a pound of bacon like, oh man, this is just so good. Too bad you can't have any. I mean, what would you give up for someone in your family? What would you voluntarily restrict and say, hey, you know what, I'm freely going to go without this. I'm going to sacrifice that. I'm going to surrender it. I mean, I'll go without ice cream, right? You'll go without fried food or salt or anything like good. You go without bacon for the sake of your family member, right? Why? Because you don't want them to fall off the wagon of their diet or their health. You don't want them to be hurt. You don't want them to fall. You want them to thrive. And so my question to you this morning is really just, what would you give up if you knew that by giving something up, the church would thrive? I mean, what would you sacrifice as a church to say, I, I'm going to give up, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to surrender something to make sure that somebody else lives fully, that they thrive, uh, that they're not in fear of, of falling off or, or, or falling over in their faith. Would you give up something? What would you give up? What would you freely restrict? You see, as we enter in again to this series of living like the church in a messy world, I'm just going to ask you the question, what would you give up? What would you sacrifice? What would you restrict if you knew that by doing so, you'd help somebody else? That you'd build them up? That you'd edify and encourage their life with Jesus? And answering that question is going to help us live like the church in a messy world. You see, there's a, a pastor, he's a preacher, and he's dealing with the same messiness that we're dealing with. And he's living in a, in a place where they're asking a very similar sort of question. You see, the preacher's name is Paul, and the city's name is Corinth. And as they unpack all the issues that they have to go through, uh, these Corinthians have been asking the preacher, hey, uh, preacher, what should we do about these issues of freedom? And one of the issues that, that they're asking him about, that they have written him about, among many other things, is this issue of meat sacrifice to idols. Now, I know that for you and I, that's not something that maybe we have had to deal with, but there's an issue underneath of that one that you and I certainly have to try and answer. See, this issue of meat sacrifice to idols, it was, it was literally everywhere. It was an issue of Christian freedom. Uh, what do I do with my freedom as a Christian? That's the issue that Paul is going to address, and the surface of it looks like meat sacrifice to idols. In the ancient world, there were temples. And oftentimes, these temples, just like the Jewish one, they would bring their sacrifices. They would bring you know, doves or chickens or goats. If you were ex exceptionally wealthy, you would bring like large cows or ox. And you would have it sacrificed there at the temple. And, and the priests would have some. That's how they gained their living. They would sacrifice the, this meat at the temple and the priests would have some. But the rest of the meat, the meat was really uh, being provided by the temple and it was kind of like the, the local butchery system. 
Right? All, all the animals would go there. They would be properly butchered. And then it would make its way out to, to all of the markets and all of the restaurants. And so here are a bunch of Christians who had a, a former life, a pagan life, and they would go to the temple and they would eat this uh, because it had been sacrificed to that local god. And they would pray over this meat a certain prayer of blessing from whatever god it was that was, it was sacrificed to. You tracking with me? And so here they are as Christians now. They've given up their former life of idolatry. And some are saying, hey, it's good. It's no big deal. It's, it's fine. I mean, it's just food. There are two groups and the church is divided over whether or not they can eat this kind of meat. And some are saying, hey, it's okay. Look at all of what God has given to us. Uh, We can give thanks to God for it. And another group is going, hey, wait a minute, time out. We were pagans to that. Uh, We don't want to live in idolatry anymore. Absolutely not. How can we do that anymore? And, And Paul essentially implies a question for them. He implies this question, and I've already asked it to you this morning. He's asking them, what would you give up if I told you that the Corinthian church would thrive? What would you sacrifice? What would you restrict in regards to your freedom so that someone else would be sure not to fall. If they were part of your family, what would, you, what would you give up for them? And Paul's answer is really interesting. As Paul walks us through this morning, as we look into God's Word, he's going to show us that we have to be aware of what we know that our knowledge is important, and, and knowledge really leads us to what we feel free to do. And then we have to make a decision in regards to our freedom of what to do next. That there's some stuff that we have in our head. That there's some intellect. There's some wonderful, necessary things that we need to know. But when we have silence, when we have this knowledge that we, we think justifies what we want to do, how do we use that? And Paul's asking that question. What would you give up? What would you restrict? What would you surrender to? What would you sacrifice for the sake of the church thriving in Corinth? So that we can answer that great question. What would we give up? What would we restrict? I want you to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. If you get to 2 Corinthians, you've gone too far. If you're at Acts, go one more book through Romans into 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, grab one. I'll give you time, I promise. I won't jump ahead of you. Love it when people are in the Word together. It's so good, isn't it? Because I'm, I'm, this is me. I'm stalling so that you have time to get your Bibles. One of the joys in my life is looking over and my son and my wife are reading the Word together. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 
Knowledge is important. Knowledge is good. Uh, there's some knowledge that we have as Christians that really informs our own behavior. It informs who we are, and who we are, our identity informs how we behave. It's, it's part of that cycle. Knowledge is not bad. It's good. Uh, the question is, how do we use that which we know? And these Corinthians know a whole lot about God. In fact, they, they have this argument that they're going to make to Paul. It's theologically sound. They're, they're placing before Paul uh, some teachings of the Scriptures to say, hey, uh, isn't this okay? Can't we do this? Notice what they say. Notice the knowledge that they use. Time and time again throughout this entire chapter, Paul's going to go, hey, I know that you have this knowledge. I know that you have it. I know that you have this intellect. I know that you know what's necessary. You're orthodox. You know what's right. Read some of their knowledge. Look with me in verse 4. So then, about food sacrificed to idols... We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. Oh, we could spend all day just on verse 6. He goes all the way back to Deuteronomy and the law, and he says, hey, uh, this is the Shema again. This is, uh, you know, our God is one, and we worship Him alone, and He is Creator, and there is Jesus, His Son, and He was part of the creation, and it's through, whom, through Him that we... I mean, we could spend all day there, right? Orthodoxy. Uh, they understand the tradition of the church. Uh, they're really well-versed in, in what the doctrine of the church is teaching. And they even go on, they say, hey, hey, you know what? They say to Paul, hey, look, food isn't really anything, Right? I mean, notice verse 8. He says, But food doesn't bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do eat it, and no better if we do. And at this point, uh, you can almost hear the Corinthians uh, who are in group number one saying, hey, it's totally cool if we go ahead and do this, right? I mean, they're kind of like fist pumping like, yeah, yeah. See, we, we got our stat sheet before, before the Apostle Paul. Uh, we showed him all of our knowledge. We showed him how much we know. We showed him that we went to the Corinthian Christian College and we got an A in, in our Bible class. I mean, they know some good stuff, right? I mean, they know that God is one. They know that there's no idols. That idols that are there are just pieces of wood, hay, and straw. Uh, they know all of that. And I want to tell you that that's really important stuff. There's some knowledge that's absolute. Like, there's some truths that we've got to stand on as the church. Like, things like God is one. Things like there's a, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Things like there is a virgin birth and there is a resurrection and ascension. These are really, really important things. But Paul says, um, that's not this kind of knowledge. That's not the kind of knowledge that we're talking about here. He's essentially saying, hey, look, you've given me a really good stat sheet. 
You've shown me some really good things, but this knowledge is just a stat sheet to do what you want. You're using all that you know about God to try and say, uh, can't we do this? Don't I have the right to do this? Don't I have the freedom and the liberty uh, to go and do what I want in Jesus? And what they're looking for, what they're looking for is for Paul to say, absolutely, yep, go ahead. You have a license, you have a list, go right ahead. That's at this point, that Paul says, hey, can I, can I tell you that, that your level of knowledge isn't really what's at issue here. What's at issue here really isn't about how much you know. I mean, yeah, I know that there's some foundational things, but this is a little different scenario. You're using your knowledge to be able to do what you want and asking me to approve of it. And he defines it their knowledge as really an issue of freedom. I want you to look at verse 9. Look at verse 9 with me. He says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights, the exercise of your freedom, does not become a stumbling block to the weak. You see, Paul is reshaping this and he's saying, hey, this is really about an issue of freedom. And the question that Paul is asking underneath of that is, when you and I come up to issues in Scripture where Scripture is silent on, when there are things that crop up in our life that Scripture does not give a direct answer to, how is it that you and I respond to that? How is it that we respond? Paul says this is an area of freedom and I want you to frame it up right. Now let me give you an example of an area of freedom that Scripture doesn't speak directly to. When I was in college, I was a freshman in college, and I met this really cute girl. Okay? Are you with me so far? Cute girl, college. Now her name was JoLynn. Okay? And... Um, you know, we went out on a couple of dates, and it was, it was kind of fun, and, and, uh, and I kind of thought maybe I liked her, okay? So, you know, as relationships go, I was like, oh, you know, I kind of want to kiss her. I don't know if any of you have thought that, you know, about someone that you like. I thought, man, I kind of want to kiss her. So, you know, trying to get it right, you know, I was there in Bible college, and I'm trying to get things right, Okay? So where do I go? I go to my concordance and I look up kiss in the Bible. And I'm like, the Bible is going to give me instruction on, you know, what I should do next, right? Should I kiss her? Should I not kiss her? Um, if I were to marry her, do I have to wait for that? How, how does all that work? I'm here to tell you that there's not a whole lot on the Bible about kissing your future spouse. There's just not. It's an area of silence, really. I mean, you could go and look up in your Bible something on kissing in, in the Bible, but I'm here to tell you that generally speaking, when the Bible talks about kissing, it's talking about like a greeting, like kiss, uh, you know, greet one another with a holy kiss kind of stuff. And it's really like greet one another with a sign of respect. Like, no, I, I, I'm looking at something a little more than, you know, just like a greeting, honestly. 
Like, what about relational, like, I, I want to show you that I care about you? And, and you know what? The Bible is silent on that. So, what do I do? What do I do? And you know what? I wrote down a list of all sorts of things uh, throughout church history, and even in, in modern day, where we have to try and make decisions on stuff that the Bible isn't like, well, let me give you three points and a, and a conclusion on exactly what to do with, with these areas. There's some areas of freedom that we have to deal with, just like those in Corinth did. Here's the list that I came up with. You probably have your own list. Can couples kiss before they get married? Can a woman wear a beach? Can Christians gamble if they set limits? Can they play lotto? Can Christians drink any alcohol at all? As long as they don't get drunk. Can believers watch movies? If they can watch movies, are rated R movies okay? Or do they have to be PG or G? Can women baptize others or serve communion while standing up? How about playing cards? Is that okay? How about dancing? Is dancing okay? How about having Easter egg hunts? On church property? How about Christmas trees? Are they okay? Is it wrong for a Christian to smoke or to chew? Are you gathering what I'm saying? Go ahead, look up. Look, look up all you want in the Bible. There's going to be areas where we're, we're uh, wrestling with the Scriptures to go, ah, what am I free to do? And, and the Corinthians are there saying, hey, don't we have the right to do this? Don't we have the freedom to do this? Can't we do the liberty to do what we want here? And Paul in chapter 10 is basically going to go, yeah, look, I get your theological ar argument. I know the teaching. And as far as the teaching goes, as far as the knowledge goes, yes, you do have that freedom. But here's what he's going to say. You're asking the wrong question. Yeah, I hear the question that you're asking. I see the knowledge that you're providing. I know the freedom that you're talking about. He's saying, you're asking the wrong question though. The question is not, can I do this? Aren't I free to do this? Don't I have a right to do this? The right question Paul is going to say is, does this build the church? Does this edify other people? Does this encourage them? Does this help them? Does it move them from point A to point B? Or does it set something in their way that's going to be detrimental to their faith? Is it going to trip them up somewhere down the road? He goes, you're asking the wrong question. Now, isn't it in areas of freedom where we point to the Bible and we say, look, God says I'm okay. And we come and what we really want is for God to say, look, give me a license or give me a list. Yeah? Give me a license to do this. Give me a list so that I know where all the boundaries are. And that's exactly where the Corinthians are. They're saying, hey, in these issues of freedom, give me a license to do it. Show me the yes 
Just say yes and I'll, I'll go on. And that's what we want in areas of freedom. Just say yes. Or give me a list. Give me a, get a list of rules of do's and don'ts so that I know exactly where the box is. And then I'll not only live in the box, I'm going to make other people live in the box too. And Paul says, it's not a list and it's not a license. He's saying, I'm going to introduce something else. In issues of freedom, I want you to love. When it comes to areas where the scriptures aren't absolutely clear, when there's areas of silence that we don't know exactly how to make a decision, I'm going to set up a guideline for you that says, allow your liberty to be informed by your love by how you love other people, by how you edify the church. Let your first question be, how does this affect my family? How does this affect my other brothers and sisters that I worship with? Notice what he says. Go all the way back to verse 1. He says in the second part of verse 1, he says, we know that we all possess knowledge. There's that knowledge piece again. But knowledge, he says, puffs up, while love builds. Those who think they know something don't yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. He's saying, hey, you know what? There's something bigger than your knowledge. How about you love God first and ask the question about how you use your freedom and your liberty to build others up, to love people, now, I can hear some of you say, well, if I have to allow my liberty to be guided by love, if I, have to, if I have to give up something in order for someone else not to fall, then, then where does it all end? I mean, he does say that, hey, there might be some level of restriction. Look at verse 7. He says, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Not everybody has it. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat food sacrificed, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it's defiled. He says, verse 9, be careful that you, your exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone, verse 10, with a weak conscience sees you with idols' temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister whom Christ died for is destroyed by your knowledge. Do you see why we need to let love guide our liberty? Now how do we do that well? Because I can hear some of you saying, well, okay, but let's say that, you know, my brother and sister in Christ doesn't like that I watch Star Wars because they think it's like New Age or something. And that they don't want me to do that. And they don't think it's right that any Christian should do that. Or, 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 or maybe I enjoy playing bocce ball in my backyard with my friends and they think that for some odd reason that that's wrong. I mean, are we talking here about issues of opinion or is there something else 
Do I give up my liberties just because someone else has a different opinion, or is there something else that guides that restriction of liberty? I want to make it really clear. When it comes to our issues of freedom and how we restrict our liberties with love, uh, the issue is not whether or not someone else just has another opinion. I can play bocce ball in the backyard, even if Rick Wiggs thinks that that's dumb. The issue is not whether or not Rick and I agree on playing bocce ball in my backyard. That's not the issue. The issue that Paul is pointing out here is the destruction of someone else's faith. Am I, by the knowledge that I have and the freedom that I exercise, am I restricting, am I placing a a restrictor, am I placing an obstacle that Rick is going to trip over because I'm playing bocce ball in the backyard? That's the issue. Paul says, look, it's not about whether or not you can do one thing or another just, just to do it. Is what you do building the church? Is it edifying and encouraging to other believers? Or is that going to, like the person on a diet, is it going to encourage them to fall off the wagon of their faith? And you and I don't get a list. We don't get a license. But he says, you do have to love. And this is a hard one. So let's say that I have a brother or sister in Christ. And in a former life, they were an alcoholic. That they were addicted to alcohol. That they couldn't live without it. It became an idol to them. It became a god to them. Now, I know the knowledge. I know the scriptures. Don't get drunk. Okay. But what if that believer... What if that person who has struggled so much with that addiction, and you walk in, and they walk into a restaurant, and you're sipping on a pina colada, and you're not there, you're not there getting drunk, I get it. And you could say, I have the freedom to do this, and you'd be right. But Paul is asking, what would you do, what would you give up, what would you sacrifice, What would you surrender for the sake of someone else? See, the question isn't whether or not you have enough knowledge or whether you have the freedom. What he's asking is, would you build someone else up? It's not a list. It's not a license. He says, but would you love? And he says, if you don't ask this question first, There might be some serious consequences. Notice what he says in the last two verses. Verse 12 and 13. He says, when you sin against them. Notice how he phrases that. Hey, if you use your liberty wrong, you've sinned against them. But it gets worse. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin again. Ouch. If you don't handle your liberty well, if you don't handle your knowledge and your freedom well, you sin against Christ. 
So what's the outcome of all that? He says in verse 13, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. And when he says, I will never eat meat again, he says, he is saying, I'm never, ever not going to think about it, not going to touch it. If it meant uh, that I could make sure that they wouldn't fall, that I wasn't restricting their faith, I would never do it again. Because that's how much I love them. So I have to ask you again, church. It's that question that I ask at the beginning. What would you give up? What would you do without? What would you freely allow your liberties to practice and give up, to sacrifice, to surrender, to restrict, for the sake of someone else in the body of Christ? Not because they just disagree with you. Not because it's a matter of opinion but because their faith will negatively be impacted and their life in Jesus will be harder because you've made a choice. What would you give up? What would you give up to make sure that they thrive? What would you give up? What would you sacrifice? What would you surrender for your grandchild to thrive in Jesus? For your child or your spouse or your friend or your neighbor, what would you give up so that they could thrive with Jesus? Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you and we thank you for your goodness. And Lord, you challenge us in your word. I, I've been so challenged, Lord. God, I pray that there is more to our faith than simply what we know. And I pray, Lord, that you will set within our hearts and our souls and our minds that we, will, that we will reflect hard on these issues of freedom so that we get it right. Lord, help us to restrict, to surrender, to sacrifice in love. In love. Whatever would restrict the faith life with Jesus of another member of your church. We love you. And we pray this all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.